Good morning, church. Thank you for the Sunday away last week. We spent the weekends, the weekend in Bar Harbor, and we were able to worship with the Waldens, their new church. Uh, they miss you. I can vouch for that. Before we look at the book of Jonah, like I said, we are starting this week. I figured it would be good to start with the question as to why we're taking a free four-week break from John. We've been in John since last December, and so we thought a break in the Old Testament felt appropriate. This book of Jonah is also a great encouragement to put into practice the things that we've seen so far as God's work, salvation through Jesus alone, the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is available for all who repent. You may remember our study in the book of Genesis back when we first arrived here. We looked at creation and then the fall and the subsequent redemption which comes through the covenant God made with Abraham. God says this in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as we finish Genesis, Israel as a nation was stuck in Egypt. Generations later, Moses would be born, eventually called by God to establish another covenant with God's people, Moses, the Mosaic Covenant. But in Deuteronomy 7, 6-7, it shows us that the nature of God's call to Israel as a nation is not because they're special, but they're to be used by God for the sake of others. It says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all the peoples. And Israel would eventually get back to the promised land. They struggle in victory and defeat. They would want a king and they would get Saul, but eventually Saul would be replaced by David, a man after God's own heart. And anticipated in God's covenant with Abraham and Moses, the Davidic covenant promised blessing to the nations, as well as through the Messianic line fulfilled in Jesus. David prayed this, looking to Jesus in Psalm 2. You might be familiar with it. He says, I will declare, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possessions. For hundreds of years, God's people restlessly waited. They tried to do things on their own. They tried to rule and conquer earthly kings. They tried to set up rules so as to not disobey God's law, but they failed over and over again. Looking forward to the new covenant we've seen in John, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. And today, we find ourselves in the history of redemption in the book of Jonah. And as God's covenant people, He has called them to go, to be a blessing for the nations, but they haven't done it. 
The only thing we know about Jonah is from 2 Kings 14. During the prosperous reign of King Jeroboam II, Jonah the prophet, he had his ministry. It was a prosperous time in Israel. The nation has lost its focus and became inward focused, not outward facing. This message, the message of this book, may be summed up as one commentator says, what happens when people repent? Keep that in mind. As we look at chapter 1, we will see the call of Jonah. We'll see the disobedience of Jonah. We'll see the discipline of Jonah. And we'll see the example of Jonah. Let's look at verse 1 to start with the call of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to the, with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we start with a word of the Lord. It says, God does this often in prophetic books where the word of the Lord comes to men like Isaiah. Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And God has a word for Jonah to share with others. And Jonah hears from God directly, and it's a command of God that must be obeyed. And what we see as readers, we're to immediately grasp, is that this book is the story of the Lord. All caps you see in your Bible. It refers to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Ezekiel, or sorry, Exodus chapter 3. It's the same words Jesus used over and over again in John that we've seen, the I am. What this short book is about is about Yahweh, the eternal covenant-keeping God of the Bible. And God says, arise, go. Jonah is to go to Nineveh, to call out, to proclaim, to appeal, and announce this coming judgment of the Lord against Nineveh. And it's an opportunity for Nineveh to repent. Nineveh is called a great city. It was a large city, but as one book I read earlier this year said, it was a greatly evil city, where great could also signify its exceedingly sinful nature. And there is about 600,000 people who live in the city, who God wanted to warn, who God wanted to call to repent. And if you hadn't picked up on it, it's about the same population of our state of Vermont. Nineveh was the nemesis of Israel. Eventually, Assyria, Nineveh being the capital, would conquer Israel in 722 BC, take the northern tribes into exile. And for Jonah to be called there, it was an act of sense of shame towards Israel. There was much racial and ethnic tension in the backdrop of this small book. Nineveh was powerful, but in Jonah's eyes, they're foreigners not part of God's people. One author I read described Jonah's, or God's call of Jonah to go to Nineveh as if a Jew were to walk in the city of Berlin during the Holocaust and call them to repent. It's pretty intense. Jonah is meant to be seen as an example of Israel, unwilling to go to a foreign people. And normally prophets call out against Israel, but God wants to use this prophet, Jonah, as an example to correct Israel's nationalistic and selfish theology. Israel was to be a blessing, to bless the other nations as we've seen, to introduce others to their creator and to their redeemer. As the example of Israel, Jonah fled. He takes a lot of quick ag action and effort. He flees to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord, down to Joppa, finds a ship, pays the fare, goes down to the ship, and away from the sight of others. You see that? But not only can we truly, but no one can truly flee the Lord. 
God was aware of Adam and Eve in the garden when they hid. God was aware of the sins of Nineveh, as we've seen. And God was aware of Jonah's flight, even though he tried to hide in a ship. The Hebrews were a people of the land with little experience on the sea. Like me from California, winter's kind of fun watching from TV. Jonah was more prepared to risk his life at sea than to see God's call of repentance and grace go to another people. To flee, Jonah would have, have had to renounce everything he had, his home, his people, his reputation, to risk his life out on the open ocean. But for Jonah, it was worth it. So Nineveh wouldn't repent in response to the good news of God's mercy. Jonah, the ardent nationalist, he attempted to go to a place in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. But for God, to send a prophet was to remind people of their responsibilities before his covenant. He sent prophets to remind God's people of their role in fulfilling their end of the covenant. And here Jonah becomes a visible and physical reminder of God's call to repentance, for Israel to repent. God sending prophets in the f is a form of love because God disciplines those whom he loves. And sometimes discipline comes in the form of pain, as we all know, since we were all kids at one point. But let's look at next at the ramifications of the disobedience of Jonah. Look with me at verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give us a thought, give a thought to us, that we may not perish. Jonah fled. But verse 4 reminds us of who, again, is in control. Jonah went to the ship, but the Lord, in verse 4, says, Yahweh is in control. And as Jonah took pains to put quick effort into fleeing, we see God puts quick effort into sovereign discipline in response. A great wind, a mighty tempest, the ship threatened to break up because God knew where Jonah was and acted in light of it. The word here used for God sending a storm is used elsewhere like for like hurling an object like a spear, and this is not gentle. In contrast to the disobedient prophet, the wind and the sea, the ship were turned to the Lord's purposes. In these natural things, wind and waves, but also a man-made thing, a ship obeyed. The others on the ship were scared. The fear of the Lord had reached the other sailors on the boat as an example for Israel because those who don't follow God's word might not actually be believers and should therefore fear the Lord. Jonah acted quickly, but God acted quickly. And the sailors too acted quickly, but they were ignorant. They called to their gods. They tried to appease them. They throw cargo into the ship. They probably kept the maple syrup, I'm sure. And a pastor friend of mine suggested to me to understand the image properly. We as readers should feel the violent rocking and swaying of the ship, hear the fury of the crashing waves and ship's timbers about to break, and the taste of seawater overwhelming the ship. But Jonah remained silent. In the roaring of the wind and the waves, as the ship threatened to break up, Jonah remained asleep, dead to the world, and more, especially, or more importantly, dead to the call of God in his life. The captain goes to Jonah. He calls him to rise. He calls him to give thought to the circumstances around him. And the captain even uses two verbs that Jonah had previously heard from God. Get up and call out. Arise and preach. The captain speaks better than he knows, and the irony could not have escaped Jonah's ears. 
And as Jonah went down and away from God, the sailors went down to Jonah. Sometimes we don't need the Bible or God's audible voice to call us to do things, but sometimes God uses others to call us. Here, Jonah doesn't call out to God for rescue. The sailors do, further emphasizing the desperation of those perishing in their sins. And Jonah continues to remain blind. We've seen the call of God in Jonah. We've seen the disobedience of Jonah. And now we'll see how God disciplines Jonah. Let's look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea, the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Jonah could have told them that he was what was taking place. I'm being disobedient, and God is disciplining me. And what they do is they're realizing they're perishing, but they are ignorant as to why, because Jonah hasn't told them. And so they take a roll of a dice to figure things out. And casting lots or roll, rolling dice is a form of or is widely used in method in the ancient Near East at this time, but it was forbidden for the people of Israel to participate in. But Proverbs 16.33 reminds us, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's, every, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God sovereignly causes the lot to fall on Jonah, and the sailor's desperation increases. The theme continues, and they pepper Jonah with quick questions. Why is this happening? What is your occupation? Where are you from? What country are you from? What are your people? Jonah answers quickly as again, quickly as well. Jonah finally shares the truth. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I fear the one who controls the wind and the waves. They don't have any knowledge of the scripture to direct them. And evangelism with Jews can begin with the Old Testament. But Jonah uses creation to share good news with the sailors. He contextualizes the God of the universe who made the sea and the land, which are appropriate when talking to these pagans. It's the Lord we see in verse 10 who is leading this episode. What Jonah does is he says, it's the I am. And to run away from a God was foolish. But to run away from the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, who is everlasting and eternal, was suicidal. Their question, what have you done, was not a question about the nature of Jonah's sin, but it was an exclamation of the horror around them. They were frightened. They're experiencing the discipline of Jonah firsthand, and they're scared that they will perish with him in the process. What happens when people repent is the theme of Jonah, and it's truly a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, the I Am, Yahweh. God called Jonah, and Jonah disobeyed. God disciplined Jonah, and Jonah uses himself as an example next, as we finish up a sacrifice that Israel should have modeled. Let's finish with chapter 11. I'm sorry, the chapter with verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah was asked how they can be saved. Jonah's conscience was affected. He wasn't really being compassionate, but he knew what he needed to do. Unwilling to go to Nineveh, Jonah was willing to sacrifice himself in an effort to save the lives of the men on the ship. And this shows he was also ra would rather have died than go to Nineveh. This wasn't true repentance. As one pastor says, this true Christian repentance involves a heartfelt conviction of sin, a contrition over the offense to God, feeling sorry, a turning away from the sinful way of life, but also turning towards a God-honoring way of life. In short, repentance is true change. The sailors, they don't repent. They don't stop crying out to their gods in light of Jonah's revelation. They row harder because they were afraid. Jonah's God brought them great fear. It wasn't a desire to get to land to save Jonah either. Repentance requires the radical action, not superficial solutions. True believers repent and follow God's word. And Jonah should have said, take me to Nineveh. The sailors in verse 14, they fear Yahweh. They acknowledge the Lord is in charge of this whole situation where God has sought to punish Jonah for his misdeed by the storm and they're scared that God will turn to punish them if they murder Jonah. They don't want to perish as they say because of innocent blood. And do you see the parallels with Jesus here by the pagans? They understand they're perishing and Jonah's life is in their hands for the sake of their salvation. Jonah is a substitute for the pagan sailors, but unlike Jesus, Jonah is not innocent. Jonah needs a savior too, like you and I. The heathens had more concern for one man, Jonah, than Jonah had for hundreds of thousands in Nineveh. And they understand God's wrath, and they are willing to sacrifice one man for the many. It's like Jesus sacrificed himself for those who would believe in him for eternal life. But in contrast to Jesus' words from the cross, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These sailors are exclaiming to God, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. These sailors respect God's power, but they also fear his vengeance. And when they cast Jonah out, the sea stops. The fear of the sailors grew so intensely and it ended with worship in response to the grace that they received with their salvation. The most common command in all of scripture is fear not, but that is only for God's people. Friends, we need not fear if we believe, but for a lost and dying world, they need to fear because the wrath of God is coming. And what Jonah's actions do is they foreshadow salvation for the people outside of the people of God. And the natural expression of salvation when they receive it, which is the sailors do, is that of worship. The sailors should fear, but we have the only hope to the fear of God, the gospel. For all have sinned, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus substitutes himself in his death for those who would believe. He rises to prove he is God and secure our salvation, as we saw in the Gospel of John to secure an abundant life, a life we were meant originally to live in the garden. All one must do is believe, and we get to be the messengers of that great news as we go about our daily lives. And so what do we do with chapter one of Jonah? I think it's helpful to look at things backwards. 
where first Jonah becomes the example of sacrifice, the example of Jesus, the model for how Israel was to function, the model how we are to function. Friends, we go because the world needs a savior. The sailors worshiped in their response to salvation. And I think this is telling. As John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Many around us don't worship God, so will we go? Many needed a savior at one point. We needed a savior at one point. Christianity is meant to be lived out loud, as a friend of mine reminded me recently. We go because God deserves worship from those who don't currently worship him, and they won't worship him unless we share the gospel with them and they believe. The world around us, friends, is dying. My prayer is that every man, woman, and child in our town and the towns that surround us would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel because of our ministry here in South Royalton. As John MacArthur says, evangelism, it's the purest and best work we can do as the people of God, but it's radical work. Like when Jonah said, throw me into the sea. Or when God said, go to Nineveh. It's going to take a lot more than Cornerstone to, to reach our towns. But we get to do it. Just like Nineveh, there's great sins in our towns, our state, and our nation. I probably don't need to go into a long list of what those are. You probably are aware of them. Jonah didn't go, and therefore he was disciplined. Some of us might exclaim like Jonah, I'd rather die than share the gospel with a neighbor or a friend or a family member, let alone a stranger. I feel like that sometimes. If I were to hear God's voice um, for myself to go to Church Street and proclaim the coming judgment of God, I would probably be very hesitant and scared, and you'd probably have to kick my butt and get me out of the building. Evangelism, excuse me, evangelism is sacrifice. People with challenges may come to our church that's a good thing. We might actually look different as a church if they do, and that's a good thing. Jonah thinks he knows God and that he can disobey God. But we, what we see here is that he does not truly know God, and he cannot disobey God without consequence. That's why we go back to our third point in Jonah's discipline. We can learn from, from Jonah here too. Friends, we cannot know God follow his voice, believe, and still disobey. Jesus says in John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 17, 8, we'll see in a couple months, Jesus says this, as you sent me, speaking to the Father, into the world, as the Father sent the Son, so I have sent them, speaking of the disciples, into the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Friends, Jesus came so we could go. Someone obeyed God and shared the gospel with us, right? We love for God to have patience with us, but not always with others. God smite them. God shut them up. God destroy them. But let 2 Peter 3, 9 encourage you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God could have got a new prophet, just let Jonah die. He could have become impatient, or he can become impatient tomorrow. Take us all to heaven who believe. But I'm glad that God didn't run out of patience with me 20-something years ago. Before I believed, I wouldn't be here. Some of you may be glad that he didn't run out of patience 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or last year. Friends, God has us here for evangelism. And he will discipline us if we don't participate. I heard a pastor say this recently, the greatest work in the heart of God is also the greatest concern in the mind of God.
and it is evangelism. Is it our great concern? Who knows what the American church's discipline will be? Maybe it's just a simple sermon like this and correction. Maybe churches close their doors, many churches close their doors because God doesn't grow them due to their disobedience to the call on their lives. But thank God for His grace. When we don't participate in evangelism, it's sin like any other. But Jesus died for that too. And we can repent. And we can follow God's call. Remember, true change. Contrition, being sorry. Turning away from that which we are doing that is not in line with Scripture, but also turning towards a proper way of living according to Scripture, which means we go. We get to participate in God's only plan of salvation, for God to save people from every tribe and nation and language, and it comes through the opening of our mouths. Where the sailors took action, they asked Jonah for help, and Jonah contextualized his answer. The world around us is calling out. They yelled out all the time what they worship. They seek a savior. They seek salvation. But there is only one savior. And we, friends, have the answer. Jonah contextualized an answer to the sailors about the wind and the waves. And there are ways that we can contextualize here in Vermont where we can meet the people that we engage with, where they're at, and share the gospel with them. And we can learn from each other as we share the gospel with a friend. We can encourage a brother. Hey, I shared it in this way to this person. And we can learn to share it in the same way when that situation arises for us. Jonah was disciplined because he disobeyed. But let's not disobey, friends. Let's ask God to help us to repent if we resist the call. Let's ask God for a heart that yearns for others like God does if we don't have it yet. Let's ask God for confidence that no one is too far from God, that His grace couldn't reach them. It reached us. Let that encourage you. Where we share and God saves. It's simple, yet it's very profound. And when we go back to the beginning of our text, we see Nineveh wasn't coming to Jonah. You probably didn't need me to remind you that our towns and our state, they're not coming to us to learn about their only hope in life and death. Our church may grow because we're awesome or we have cool new photos, but it won't be lasting. Pictures change, our church will change, but our church will grow by going. We might be excited about people from other churches coming to our church, but that doesn't give God more glory. He's getting the same amount of glory for the same number of people. God will get more glory, in a way, by com people coming to know and love and follow Him that weren't yet loving Him. The Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant eventually are fulfilled as Jesus Himself proclaimed from the cross, It is finished. We'll see that in John 19. But John 3, 16-18 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We're called in Matthew 28, 18-20, as we saw in our scripture reading, as the new covenant disciples are to go. I'll read it again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Speaking of Jesus, or Jesus speaking of himself, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, God wants us to go. Part of teaching disciples to obey and observe all that Jesus commanded is to observe and obey the command of going. God doesn't finish with the discipline of Jonah. He doesn't leave him to die in the sea. All sin is ever-present before our all-knowing God. And a Savior awaits those who would hear, who will receive and respond and will believe the gospel. And we can rest in that salvation that we have. We can learn from Jonah, where Jonah eventually will see in the next couple weeks, he goes to Nineveh. We can just go down the street. We can go to the grocery store. We can go next door. We can even share the gospel with someone in the car next to us, or maybe the cubicle next to us, or the customer across the table or the counter from you. Jonah's about what happens when people repent. So what happens when people repent? God saves sinners. We might be happy if our church grows, like I said, when people come from other churches, moving from one church to another, and that doesn't give God more glory. But when folks move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, that gives God glory. Salvation and mercy should cause us, like the sailors, to worship. Next week, we'll see Jonah repent. But we're going to take some time as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we sing one final song, as we pray ourselves to worship God who has given us so much mercy. Father, we ask you that you would help us, as Paul says in Colossians 4, to continue steadfastly in prayer, that we would be watchful in it with thanksgiving. God, that you would open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul says on account of which he is in prison. But we ask that you would help us to make it clear, which is how we ought to speak. God, would you give us eyes to see people in front of us, a heart to respond and share the gospel, trusting that you will bring people to repentance, that you will save sinners to the opening of our mouth as we declare the mystery of Christ. And as Peter says, you would help us to, in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in us. And we would do it with gentleness and respect. God, would you help us to be a people that we are asked for the reason for the hope, that we are a hopeful people, a gospel-centered people, a people that lives separately, distinct from the world, as Peter says to, that Christ the Lord is holy, that we would be holy as you are holy, and that we would give a reason for the hope that we have, which is the gospel. And Father, let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. Father, grow your church through our mouths. And thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus For when we not wanted to go, when we not wanted to share the gospel ourselves, thank you for the forgiveness and grace and mercy. We want to worship you. Would you transform our communities by your grace through your gospel? And Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.